Greetings and welcome back to ZatCast, the official podcast for local government nerdery of all shapes and sizes. Uh, speaking of all shapes and sizes, I'm Chad and that is Pat. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. I'm a little bigger than Chad is. A little rounder, a little taller. It's just starting off the day uh, in a feisty mood. So um, do you want to go ahead and get it out of your system? Sure. Why, I'm, why am I currently wearing this A&M shirt? Which, by the way, we had a, uh, we had a training session for Zach today. Uh, where we had a, a lot of our clients on there, and I made sure that everybody understood that AM baseball beat Texas last night. It was just another midweek game for y'all, though, Chad. I mean, I don't know what, why it's such a big deal. It's just a midweek game. The thing about baseball, which you know this because you follow baseball, is anything can happen in a game, right? That's why they play so many of them. That, that is true, but hold on. There has been a lot of anything can happen to Texas in the last week and a half. <laughs> Let's just point that out. The run with Texas Tech, not so great. The run with Charleston College, not so great. It's, it's, it's been a little rough for the number eight team in the nation. Okay, so now with that out of your system, let's get to the actual things that people care about yes. uh, rather than the increasing your win percentage from 35.2% to 35.3% against Texas. So the first up today, we're going to do kind of a lightning round. Because uh, there's a handful of things that we kind of were interested in, but none of them are like a full pod topic. So uh, we're going to kind of hit a handful of things. I think we've done this before where like I throw out a topic and then you throw out a topic and we'll just kind of chat about it for a few minutes and then, uh, and then move on. So up first, an article in Bloomberg Opinion, American consumers are starting to hit their breaking point. Uh, so this article talks about a consumer sentiment study that the University of Michigan puts out. Uh, which shows that consumer sentiment right now is at its lowest point in about 11 years. Um, Couple this with, you know, inflation, with uh, interest rate increases, um, concerns about, essentially, this article kind of says that the, all the profligate COVID spending that people went through, uh, you know, as they uh, kind of grew their savings and then started spending that money, it's probably coming to an end. And uh, especially with inflation being so high, consumers are starting to scale back how much money they're spending. So Patrick, we talked about this on the last episode, all signs are kind of pointing to uh, slower economic growth, if not recession. Has your thought process changed on that at all in the last few weeks? No, I think, I think this is just another example of information that's coming in. Uh, one of the most surprising things here to me was that um, you know, pre-COVID consumer sentiment was higher than it even was mid-2021, which I think a lot of people looked at that as like a you know, mid-2021. So like March through really like the summer of 21 would be the better way to look at it. But a lot of people looked at that period of time, like there was just a lot of elasticity within spending uh, for people, but the consumer sentiment was really not near as strong as it was prior to COVID in 2020. Now we're seeing um, a consumer sentiment measure that's dropping almost another 30 points from, from that 2021 number. And um, that's, a, that's a pretty significant drop. I think what we talked about last month is, especially with energy costs and the Ukrainian conflict, but energy costs specifically, when, when energy costs exceeds 4.5% of the just normal American budget, consumer spending pulls back and confidence pulls back. And I think that's what we're seeing, right? So the question is, how long are the prolonged energy prices going to continue. We've seen some drop in that, uh, but it's still, you know, it's still costing 125 hours to fill up uh, a, a big truck, right? Or a vehicle in Texas. So it's just, a, it's really interesting to see uh, a good measure of that is, is, 
you know, gas pumps used to stop you at hundred dollars and now they let you go to 125 or 150. Right. So uh, I think what we're seeing right now is people are spending a lot of money in other areas that are essential. And so they're just not going to have confidence to spend money in uh, consumer goods. Pre COVID that index was, it looks like about 98, the time period you're talking about mid 2021, right? So this is like post vaccines, lots of places are starting to reopen. A lot of money has been pumped into the economy, right? We had like a $400 billion output gap and $2 trillion was pumped into the economy. That sentiment was about 86, Mm -hmm. right? Now it's almost 55. That's a really marked shift. And just in the past year or so, um, despite the fact that we're sort of coming out of COVID, um, that just really tells you the toll that inflation and all of these other indicators are kind of having on people's psyches. So, and, and really started to, yeah, started to stumble at the end of the 2021 summer, right? So really like the beginning of the school year, this school year that we're in right now, we started to see a pretty substantial tumble in the consumer index. So uh, I have a topic to throw at you uh, that we discussed a little bit, but uh, very interesting. Did you know that in Argentina, in 1900s, early Argentina, there was a bachelor tax where a bachelor tax existed around 1900. Men who could prove that they had asked a woman to marry them and had been rebuffed were exempt from the tax. In 1900, this gave rise to the phenomenon of professional lady rejectors, women who for a fee would swear to the authorities that a man had proposed to them and they had refused. What do you think about this government policy of a bachelor tax? Interestingly enough, I did know about that because I <laughs> sent it to you. Um, so, Correct, yes, so, you sent it to me. So, so this came from a Twitter feed called Depths of Wikipedia, where they post extremely obscure Wikipedia articles. And if you actually click through and read it, it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, the earliest recorded one they have here is from ancient Rome. You know, the idea is to encourage um, marriage and family building. But yeah, the thing that was interesting to me <laughs> Is this the incentives to create an industry around women who would claim that they had rejected a proposal? That's just so entrepreneurial. I have to give I have to give a shout out to it. No, I, I get it. I get it. Anytime that we have that we use tax policy to try to influence social behavior, there's always going to be people that find a way to take advantage of it. Right. And this is just another example of it. So there were some articles that came out last week talking about uh, birth rates in the United States, right? And how those birth rates have dropped over the past couple of years pretty significantly. Yes. Do you think as a do, do you think the United States government does enough to encourage family planning? Well, if you want my honest opinion, I don't really think that the federal government has a constitutional role in that. Leaving that aside, uh, I think that they do quite a bit, but I don't know how much of it is very effective. Um, are, are, we, are we giving ourselves like substantial economic headwinds 10, 15, 20 years from now because our tax policies are not pro-family? Well, I guess the question is, should the tax policies be pro-family or should there be other direct policies that are pro-family? So are you, I we, mean, we, we've, talk, we've talked about this, right? Because of all the different regulation that we have, right? So it's very difficult to have multiple kids, more than two kids, because the cost of having more than two kids is so substantial. Your, your, your vehicle is thirty or $40,000 more expensive in order to get the third or fourth row that you need. 
right? So uh, even I don't need four rows in my car, but yes, yeah. Once you go past two kids, <laughs> and you do have a ton of kids, yes, because, uh, especially because of the car seat requirements, and those car seats are huge. Like I had to go from my crossover to my pickup because I couldn't fit. I couldn't even fit two car seats in my my car. Um, and I really like that BMW. It was, it was nice, but um, do you, yes. correct? Do you do y'all still have the taken van though? We do still have the taken van. It okay. very so. easily fits all four kids, but I don't like driving it. So fortunately, most of the time, I only have to pick up three of them for school or take three of them to school, so I can still take my truck. But yeah, um, I guess the question. So you have, you asked two questions. One, are we heading towards some serious problems? And the answer, I think, is yes. I mean, if you look at even Japan, South Korea, like a lot of these countries that have rapidly declining birth rates, even China. Now, those birth rates declined because of policy, right? <laughs> Restricting the family size. Correct, yes. Um, yep. But when we have a lot of systems in place in our economy, in our society that depend on sustained population growth. Um, and if that starts to fall, then yeah, we're going to be in some serious structural issues. Well, I mean, one of the big things in the United States, though, is that we we have empowered women significantly when it comes to the workforce. and um, and women, to be fair, have empowered themselves as well. But you, you've got uh, a lot of our colleges are higher percentages of women than men. You, you have a substantial amount of uh, of women that are in the workforce that may may have been stay at home parents at some point if they had chosen to, and we don't really do anything from a governmental standpoint to support those families or or those individuals. Um, allowing them to have both, right? It's very difficult to have that high-flying career and also be, um, you know, a a parent, a father, a mom, and be able to handle all of that without somebody having some serious flexibility on their schedule, one way or the other. Well, I have a couple of friends of mine that are stay-at-home dads that that do it, where their their wives are, you know, high-level executives. But even then, or if you if you're not in that situation, really. You have to get to you have to get to a tipping point where you can afford the childcare side, which is extremely, extremely difficult and expensive. Yeah, childcare is, is if you want decent childcare, it's very expensive. So part of the problem is not even just that we don't have policies that help women. Part of the problem is that we still have a society and some cultural issues that make it more difficult for women to be in the workforce. I mean, my wife is a very successful attorney and she will constantly be um, dealing with, with clients or with opposing attorneys who almost, I won't say look down, but assume that because she's a mom and because she has four kids that she can't do her job or that, you know, she's not capable of doing the same kind of work that like no one would treat her the no one would treat a man in her role the way that she gets treated because she's a mom. And so it's not even just that there are policy gaps, which there are, um, but there's also a sort of like, we're still not quite at the point where we treat a woman in the workforce like we would treat a man. Like you, you would never ask a man, like, where are your kids? Like, you know, what are you going to do about your kids? You have to stay late for this meeting. And like, you just, have you ever been asked that question? Like, I, no, I haven't. 
Uh, but yeah. my wife feels stuff like that on a weekly basis. Um, and I'm sure that every other woman who's listened to this podcast who has a career has dealt with the same kinds of questions. Another part of the equation, though, is not even just having fewer kids, but having them later, which I mean, I'm guilty of like we didn't I was 32 when we had our first kid, it's nine years younger than my mom when I was born. And so yeah. so it's not even just a matter of having fewer kids, but stretching those generations out means that there's just fewer people around. Um, so uh, I may, maybe even just encouraging earlier, you know, child rearing and family development would be a, a way to kind of aid in that gap. But it's hard, man. Like you said, daycare is expensive. and It's pricey. That's the problem is that the cost of having kids, the cost of supporting those kids is so much higher than it was when your parents or my parents had kids. And so um, some of that is regulatory. Um, you know, some, some of that is like, there are people that don't believe you should leave a 10 year old at home after school by themselves. Right. I mean, there's just differences of opinion where culturally, I don't know. I was probably left by myself at home when I was eight. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's just different. I mean, and, and, and that is ultimately all of those things we just talked about are impacting how many kids people are having and the birth rate, um, throughout the United States and in 10 to 15 years from now, we're going to, we're going to see a substantial impact because of that. So just, just interesting topic. All right, man, your turn. What's what's the next topic. Okay. Over the past couple of weeks, I've come across a handful of articles and podcasts and things like that about the housing issues that we're having. Um, an interesting one that we're not talking about now, but I will link to is, uh, uh a podcast where they had two people on either side of the premise that, that cities are past their prime. Um, I think that will warrant maybe a larger discussion because there were some interesting things that they talked about. But one of the advocates that said, yes, cities are past their prime, her main focus was on housing. And so they kind of put that in my mind. But there's an article by a guy who, not someone that I really agree with uh, on most things, but his, his argument here is that California should solve its housing crisis by building new cities. So beforehand, we, you know, we kind of just went back and forth on this. It, it is a terrible idea for a lot of reasons. Um, but the one thing that I found interesting, and you can talk about whatever, you know, aspect you want, but the one thing that I found interesting is, you know, we talk a lot about development styles and the fiscal impacts of those developments and, uh, and things like that. And, and honestly, I'm kind of coming around to the view that the strong towns approach is is almost a sort of grand unified theory. You familiar with grand unified theories? Yes. Okay. So basically it's like the one thing. This is like the one thing that kind of explains everything. And I'm I'm not a fan of like monocausal explanations of things, but when you start to see all the different pieces that the development patterns that we have impact from policing to financial uh, security to um, you know public safety and public health and all of these things that our development style kind of impacts, that message has not really seemed to move over into the housing side very much. Because if it did, you wouldn't really get a proposal to build a whole new city just, just to have cheaper housing, right? Because of all of the costs that come with running a city. And you know, we already can't afford it. So we're basically it, to do this would basically just be doubling down on or like making up a loss in volume. 
So like, yeah, I could probably say you built a brand new city and you could add, you know, 20,000 people into it with inexpensive homes. Well, that's great. You could probably lower the house cost of housing uh, a little bit, but now you have all this other cost that is going to come due, you know, down the road. You know, look, I mean, just trying to build, <laughs> making, making housing more affordable by trying to build a new city is just a, it's just a terrible idea in general. It's uh, ultimately affordable housing advocates. And I'm going to pick on California for a minute. Texas is a little different of a state because in Texas, it's a property rights state. There's very little anybody can do to stop development from occurring in Texas, as long as it kind of meets some thresholds, Uh, especially if that property is located outside of a city limit, Um, even if it's in an ETJ or, or in the county as in general. But where a lot of these conversations come from are not necessarily like in the Dallas Fort Worth area or the Houston area, maybe a little bit in the Austin area, but even then you can just kind of move further out. You can find some more affordable housing. Um, it really is coming out of the California market and specifically like Silicon Valley. What's interesting about that is you have these groups, these very organized groups that are pushing hard for affordable housing Yet those very same people that support those groups are against any type of, you know, strong Townsian redevelopment activities, right? Just, I mean, and, and you can read up on this article after article, but the reality is, is it's, hey, we need to put in some multifamily so that we can have some affordable housing here for folks. And there's always just kind of this comment that comes out of the community at that point, which is, well, I just don't think that's the right spot for that. Uh, it should always be somewhere any, further away from me. <laughs> it should always be somewhere further away from me, right? Even, a, even though I support the ability of people to be able to get into affordable housing, and I think they should be able to live in my community, that's not really the right spot for them to live in. Yeah. So, so, so I, have, I have two quick uh, examples of this. Um, several years ago, there was a housing project in Fort Worth that was going to be moved, and the residents were going to need to be relocated. And there was a proposal for uh, a new spot that was maybe 10, 15 miles from my neighborhood. And my neighbors were apoplectic. They're like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen, basically. And it's like, guys, Mm. first of all, as far enough away is not going to actually affect you. Um, And two, like someone, in this case, it was a city project, but or like, you know, through the housing authority. But like, if someone wants to sell their land for this use, like that's their, that's their property, right? Like they have the ability to do that, right? So um, I even, I even had one of them tell me, well, if you like it so much, why don't you invite them to come stay in your pool? And I was like, I, I need to find a way to actually make that happen. <laughs> um, and no, you know, my, my state, my statement on that though would be is that it's, it's the artificial lack of housing mix that causes a problem. Had you had that housing mix to begin with, had you had a planned approach to that housing mix, it wouldn't have been an issue. Well, is it a planned approach or is it the planning that causes it not to happen? I mean, this is one reason why I really like city politics and government so much is because the traditional partisan divides don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is kind of a chicken and egg question because the way that we plan restricts the type of development that can be done in any given location, right? 
And so how do you have a development like that when it's so much of your land is is zoned for just straight up single family residential? It's a very simple economic question though, right? If you're going to build a community, let's just say you're building a scratch, you're building SimCity, you build a retail area, a power center, and all you have is, you know, high-end white collar homes. How in the world are you going to have employees for that power center? No, no, I understand Where that. Where are they going to live? But the, the problem with using SimCity as the argument is that SimCity has various assumptions baked into it that are based on the way that we develop here in America, right? Like True. It is essentially, it's not like a totally organic um, artificial intelligence. It is based on a set of parameters about how you zone and where you zone and how you plan things and where you put things that are just that come from the way that we've done it for the past 75 years. Okay. If you now just imagine a scenario where you just totally let the market dictate what got built where. Okay. So like the the idea Houston, of Houston, Texas. The idea of um zoning to protect property values and things like that just wasn't there at all. And if you bought uh, a lot next to my house, you could build a factory on it if you wanted to. Like just just take that as a premise, okay? Ignoring all okay. of the downsides. Um, and and you had a truly functioning market for development. In that scenario, you could have a much greater uh, mix of uses and demographics and things like that. Um, but once you start to pick and choose where certain things can be built, necessarily you're going to be restricting that that diversity. I'm not saying that is totally a bad thing, or a bad thing at all. I'm just saying that that's just a natural outcome of restricting the types of development that could occur. Okay. I mean, so at the end of the day, though, the the conversation really is, how do we get more affordable housing on the ground, right? And how do we do it in a way that's sustainable for cities? Because going in and building just, you know, multitudes of track home communities probably ain't going to do it from a financial standpoint. No, it's not. And especially the way that they do it, you end up causing major traffic problems, which I'm dealing with right now. Correct. Um, but also, <laughs> yes, there are, you, you have mean, a great area for that. Yeah. But there are there are other models that are being developed very near to where I live, where there's just floods of apartments that are just like on the backside of large retail power centers, and they're still too far away for most people to like walk to get groceries or walk to dinner. Right? You're, they're still driving. To get there. So yeah, you're fitting more people in and you can probably provide different price points, but it's still not like a cohesive community. Um, and it doesn't really solve any problems we have with traffic. It probably exacerbates them. And all the other people who don't live in that area are still having to drive to those centers for the various retail outlets. So I don't know if that's really a great solution either. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I think this is a topic conversation this, that really could extend way past just one podcast. But the reality is, is that what, what we really need to do is have a serious discussion about housing. And it's not about tax credit housing or Section 8 housing or anyway, I, I'm, I'm specifically referencing housing that people who are employed at a average median household income can afford. The market has gotten so hot, so fast, specifically where we are in, in Texas and most of the markets in Texas, that if folks who lived in their house right now tried to go buy another house of like kind 
they would not be able to afford it at their existing wage. That's how fast the rise in prices has been. The rental market has been even worse. The rental market has seen increases that are substantial. There, there, most people um, where I live are renting apartments that cost them more, significantly more than my mortgage does every month. And so it's just, there's, there seems to be this imbalance in the market. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, there's just not the availability there. It's a supply and demand conversation. Um, we're still not at the level of housing starts that we used to be. Um, oh, and, and some of that is, down. yeah, housing starts are way down. Um, and, and some of that though is also governmental. Some of that is cities really strongly reevaluating their development methods. And those development method reevaluations are having an impact on overall housing starts because it's, you just can't find lots. Lots are gold. I mean, it's, it, it's just really that simple. Um, well, maybe interest rate increases will help push down the prices of, of uh, home purchases. I think a it, will, bit. it will, will it though? I mean, here's the thing it'll push down demand, right? But isn't demand so high that demand probably could afford to be pushed down a little bit? It's just a, it's a, it's a wackadoodle market right now. Um, don't have a great solution for it, but I, I would say there, there needs to be a conversation. The hardest part is, is that a lot of times the same advocates who want these things are also the same people who say, well, that's not the right lo location. Yeah. That's, so my, that's my concern. So my second point real quick, and then I'll let you throw out your topic. Um, there was a golf course about three, three or four miles from the house, right? Uh, I went there once in about the 10 years that it was in existence. Um, it wasn't a great golf course, didn't get heavily used. And when it got sold- This is Windy Springs? No, I don't even know what it's called. Okay, Maybe sorry, it, go ahead. I don't even remember, it's been so long. Um, so it got sold and it was gonna get redeveloped into a single family neighborhood. And of course, everyone, there was a fit, right? Because uh -huh. traffic is gonna be space. awful. And you know, yeah, I guess there was green space. Yeah, uh, but you no, know, there's going to be lots of traffic and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, these houses going to be at a, the same value level, whatever, yada, 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 all the same arguments that people make against new developments. Um, but my argument was like, if, if you love that golf course so much, why didn't you go play at it enough where it would stay in business? Or you could have bought it, the property and done what you wanted to do with it. You know, no one's going to actually do that. Anyway, okay, so your, um, your next topic, and then I have one final non-related non topic. Yeah, so my next topic is uh, a city in the DFW Metroplex that always gets put on a pedestal for a multitude of reasons. Oh, I forgot we were talking about this one. <laughs> yeah, um, fantastic revenue generation city. Um, Development-wise, they're, they're one of the best. They do a very good job of it. They're in a great location. Um, but scandal has hit them. Uh, and Grapevine, Grapevine has a sizable scandal between two ex-staff members, uh, department directors, right, who spent significant sums of money on personal purchases. And um, the biggest thing, were not arrested for it. Your thoughts, Chad? Wasn't the total estimated? They couldn't actually calculate how much it was. But they they estimated it over two hundred thousand dollars between the two of them. They did, yeah. And and one and, was a little bit more sizable than the other. Yeah, and it was travel and computers and like all kinds of stuff. Um, Correct. 
One was the parks director, which let, let me let me say, Grapevine has an excellent parks department, right? I mean, uh, you look for a baseball facility in DFW to play at, Grapevine is the number one baseball facility in DFW. Uh, their parks are immaculate. They're gorgeous. They spend lots of money on them. They do lots of events. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a solid department. But wow, spending over $100,000 of city funds on personal purchases, travel, computers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Amazon accounts, I mean, all the above, I have to ask the question, how does this happen for the length of period in time that it happened for and there not be a check or balance on it? You could ask the city of Austin. <laughs> That's right. We, the library. Yeah, we wrote about the that guy in the library with the toner a few months ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it is amazing. I mean, especially at the director level. I mean, I guess maybe the question is like, who's, who's reviewing their P cards, <laughs> but, uh, and, and you probably have a certain level of trust, you know, at that, at that stage um, that you kind of expect someone's going to do their job in an honest way. But I mean, I guess they, they weren't arrested, I guess, because they couldn't prove enough of it. Is that what the deal was? No, I, they could prove quite a bit of it. I, I, I think it was they were both long term employees. Um, the city manager of Grapevine got grilled by a city council over it. Um, they were both long term employees. And I think, you know, in Texas, if you make an agreement for restitution, you really can't press charges. And so the city manager made an agreement for restitution from these employees. They resigned. They paid restitution for what could be proved by the city. And then therefore, because of the restitution agreement, they, you know, the city was made whole in, in the view of law enforcement. So therefore they weren't charged. It's wild. So it's, it's wild because it's, it's such a violation of public trust, you know, but it's, it's one of the, it, man, it just reeks of cronyism. I mean, it, it's, I've had employees that have, have done things and I have fired them for it. Um, man, I just, this is so sizable. I don't know how it wouldn't be criminal. Yeah. I also um, don't really know how it could have gone on for that long at that level and someone else not have been able to find it or see it or. So that's, it. yeah. So that's the second half of the, of the question that I have is a, a lot of the reporting on this states that. Uh, after the fact, Grapevine went in and redid all of their policies so that their reviews were different, so forth and so on. I have a really hard time with that because Grapevine's a big enough city, obviously, that they're getting audited every year. Your purchasing card policies are something that your auditor reviews with you and your administrative team every single year, every year. And, they'll pull and if there's and a deficiency, say what? Yeah, they pull receipts. They they make sure that you signed off on these reports. The financial control side always pulls P card records, right? Almost, I, I don't think I ever had a year in my 15 where a P card record wasn't pulled. Um, I'm also gonna, gonna say that at a city that big, it would probably be for, for an independent auditor who is looking at multiple cities, it would probably be a little bit of a red flag that department directors are spending that much on their P cards. 100%. Like if you're just looking at numbers, and 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 going that route, yeah, absolutely. And and then the other question is, aren't they a big enough city where they should have an internal audit department who's looking at that as well, who's randomly auditing different departments and P card statements and so forth and so on? There just seems to me like there is such an epic collapse of 
policy and following those policies and implementation of those policies that um, I just, I just don't know at the end of the day, how you have such a far collapse, especially at that department director level at the, at the amount of money that was being spent. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's wild for me. And uh, I thought I would bring that to your attention. All right. So my final topic after three years of delay, we finally actually three years of delay two hurricanes, a pandemic, and two extra children. We finally went on the Disney cruise a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yes. Tell us about this. Yeah, so I thought I would give a quick, like, two-minute review of the Disney cruise experience. I'd never have been on a – I have never been on a cruise before. Did not really know what to expect uh, or if I was even going to like it at all. Um, I will say one thing. Flying with four children under the age of six – even without the masks is a nightmare. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so we flew into Orlando, spent like a day and a half there, and then drove to Cape Canaveral. Um, and have you, you've rented car seats like with a rental car? Oh, yeah. They're, they're awful. Terrible. They're like, they're awful. They're just terrible. So, so we brought yeah. three car seats um, with us. And then our, our youngest is in one of those little convertible things. So we could, we could just take yeah. that with us. So, so basically four car seats, suitcases for all of us, strollers and kids lugging those through, you know, Love Field, through the Orlando airport. What a disaster. Um, but the Disney cruise itself, the one thing is if, if you have kids and you want to go on vacation, like you really can't beat Disney because everything is so geared towards the kids. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was nice that the cruise was at about half capacity. The only thing that they didn't have open was the like nursery for under one, uh, maybe it's under two years old. I don't know, but that, that was not open, but the kids club was open. So like our kids would go off and, uh, after dinner, after the show, they would go and play for like two hours. It's wonderful. Um, they have like Broadway style musicals, which I guess is not your thing, Patrick, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it was high quality, but the one thing that I wanted to talk about Aside from just saying, like, if, if you're going to go on a cruise and you have kids, like, I would recommend a Disney cruise because they do a good job. One of the shows was Beauty and the Beast. Are you familiar with the story of Beauty and the Beast? I, I'm familiar with the entire storyline of Beauty and the Beast. Okay, yes. so the, the problem with Beauty and the Beast is that it's, it's I mean, it's bestiality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she falls in love with an animal. Like, it's a guy who's cursed, but he's still an animal. So it's kind of weird. So I've always kind of taken the view that the reason that she like stayed and, and put a good faith effort into falling in love with the beast is because what she really wanted to do was help all of the servants who got caught up in his, you know, bad behavior and and that kind of thing is yeah. His anger and so forth in the musical version, which Jessica tells me that we saw like in the Dallas summer musicals a few years ago, but I don't remember it because I feel like I would have remembered this. They, there's a massive retcon of this story where kind of like explaining why the beast is the way he is. And like his mother loved him and she died and his dad was awful and like kind of abused him. And, and the servants got cut up because they let this all happen and yada, yada, like this, this whole, like, contrived storyline just to try to make the original story more palatable because if you actually think about it the original story is super weird so it just kind of kind of bothered me a little bit about i mean 
I don't think about Beauty and the Beast that much, except that my daughter likes to wear her bell dress. But whenever you do kind of think about it, it is kind of a weird story for kids to to grow up with. It's it it is it is an odd one, but a lot of old Disney is 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 odd, right? I mean, there's there are other things within. I mean, Fantasia is pretty pretty odd. Fantasia. Well, Fantasia is meant to be. Fantasia. Like a, sorry, as I said, Fantasia. Yeah. It's meant to be kind of like yeah. a fantastical musical experience. Correct. But like, even when you go to Disney world, like the old side of Disney, like some of the older rides are kind of creepy. Like it's a small world. Oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> that whole thing is so creepy, man. I've done that both at Disneyland and at Disney world. And at both places, I was totally creeped out. So but it's just a, it's, you know, but so you did like the Disney cruise because I'm trying to decide what do we want to do with Disney cruise. So the thing about not. the Disney cruise is it's so much more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, my kids really liked it. I think we're considering like we, we put a deposit down cause it's a refundable deposit. And if you do it when you're on the ship, you get 10% off. Um, okay. So, you know, so we, we put a deposit down on another one. Um, my wife is looking at some of the other ones that are, like bigger names that are more that that also have kind of kid friendly stuff. I just, I don't know if I, I mean, part of the thing about being on a cruise is like you're stuck there. So yeah. if you go to a bad hotel room, you could just leave. But if you go on a cruise that's kind of iffy, like you're stuck there for mm-hmm. however long that cruise is. So yeah. when you pay the premium for Disney, like you know you're going to get clean rooms good staff so one thing that was cool is that uh the way that they have it set up is uh you are on like a dining schedule and your host or waiter follows you around to each meal and they're really well trained to like interact with your kids and get to know them so like we had the same waitress for like all four meals um that we went to the you know into the restaurants for sorry i couldn't come up with that word so that was really cool because they get to know them and they like learn their names and what they like to drink and what they like to eat. So they can like bring the food out to them, you for them that they know that they're going to want. Um, they do like yeah. magic tricks and all that kind of stuff. So um, like you definitely pay a premium, but you, you get a pretty good experience for it. I, I'm just really nervous now. Like if I'm, am I going to go on a cruise again, that's not Disney and like not be able to stomach like something dirty in the room or like you know, something gross and then just be stuck there for three days or five days or however long that's my which i i've been on a car i've been on a carnival cruise when we were younger with with friends of ours when we were in our early 20s it was a little bit like that it was like a party boat yeah and as i've gotten uh, older my ability to um like my germophobia is kind of kind of increased so no surprise there yeah all right. Last but not least, the and this is more of just do yourself a favor. Uh, do yourself a favor and go pull up the Plano City Council meeting. I believe it was like March 16th ish, maybe March 15th, somewhere around there. There's a gentleman who gets on there and he has about a two minute and 20 second wrap that um, it's just it's it's the joy of local government and the public comment period. That's what it is. Please go watch it. He fit it it's within amazing. the three minute window, right? Like they didn't let him go. He did. Over. He fit it within the three minutes. They only gave him three minutes, so he did not get tased uh, afterwards. And uh, the rap is—it's something. It's something. Yeah, I—I I, I wouldn't give it any props, but it's something. Um, but that is your—I can't believe I just watched that moment of the day. Okay, 
Patrick, that was freewheeling and lots of fun. Um, as a parting gift to you, the new Top Gun comes out May 27th. Something, yes. something that I learned last night, Jennifer Connelly plays Penny Benjamin. Yeah, that's a, really? that's a, that is a deep cut on the original uh, movie. So if you're a fan of the original movie, you'll get that reference. And if not, I don't even know what to say to you. Go watch Top Gun. So, uh, all right. Yes. No. Penny, Penny, oh, Benjamin, oh, oh, Penny Benjamin was, was the Admiral's daughter. The right? Admiral's daughter that Maverick goes ballistic with. Yeah, but you never meet her though in you never meet her. the original movie. Which she, she was just brought up. She's uh, just a she's just a non-player character, as they say in the video games. Jennifer Conley plays her though. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Remember her from Rocketeer? Yeah, I thought uh, <laughs> to throw another like 30-year-old movie reference. 30-year-old movie reference. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I I will uh, uh May 27th. Is that a is that a weekday? Is that a Friday? I think it's a weekday. Doug and I are planning to go uh, meet up somewhere to see it. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm glad I got invited to that one. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we don't like you. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Okay. Stop. Goodness gracious. Hope I don't have to edit too much of that.